0: We are, I'm just kind of stepping in, Dave has kind of gone through the first introduction part, first maybe three pages, a couple of case scenarios, and so we're looking at what's a biblical view of sex. And so we're on, let's start on page four, and we're going to start with the passage of scripture. And there's quite a bit about sex in marriage, and sexual immorality, and sex in the church, and immorality in the church in First Corinthians. It was a big issue that they wrote about. So chapter 5 talks about the immorality, sexual immorality in the church. Um, end of chapter 6 talks about fleeing sexual immorality and the union between someone and a prostitute. And then 7 gets into principles for marriage. And so that's going to be where we start is looking at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And to give you a little bit of context, the passage there is 2 through 5. But if you think back, in Corinthians, oftentimes Paul is quoting. They wrote him a letter, or, and he's saying, this is what you say. And then he kind of explains that, uh, what, what's going on there. So we're going to start back in uh, verse 1. You can hear him say, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. right? So they wrote him a letter. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So that's something they wrote to him. or asking him about this. And then that brings us up to, to this passage of Peter 5. So does anybody want to read that for us? Jason, thanks. volunteer. Mm-hmm. Got it.
1: But because of temptation to mm-hmm. sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife. Each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self
0: Right. So they wrote to him asking if you know should should everyone just abstain should we just not have any sexual relationships between men and women? And he's addressing that, that here. And so what's his response? He says, should they? Right? Shouldn't abstain? And kind of what's the what's the purpose? Right? What's the basis? He says, why should men and women, husbands and wives, have sexual union? Yeah, I see that where.
1: Uh, verse
0: two. Right in the beginning of verse two, right because of temptation to sexual immorality, right, and he, his word is that each each man should have his own wife and each woman have her own husband, and he talks about how like his reasoning here is that it continues on the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, and so let's look back at the. Just previously in chapter 6, um, verse, uh, let's see. So in verse 4, when he's talking about the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and the husband does not have authority. So back in 6, verse 16, can someone read that?
2: Yeah. do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her for the two he says shall become one flesh
0: okay so he's he's talking about avoiding um prostitution and but he links it to this passage from genesis about marriage the two will become one flesh and he's saying you should not become one flesh with the prostitute but So here, how does that answer our question about why the husband doesn't have authority over his own body?
2: Because they're one.
0: Yeah, because they are one, right? So there isn't a, it's not really a him and a her, but there's really a one flesh there. And so if you, all right, what would it look like in a marriage where Maybe they're, they aren't really one where it's like, each one has authority over their own body. What could that lead to? Again? And I think in that case, or even in a case, let's say they're they're faithful to one another. Like, when would a husband and wife have sex if it was each person was kind of had authority over their own body? Only whenever, they whenever they mutually right with the husband and the wife both. I want this. You want this. They both engage in it. They both right. And so, it's, what is it? What is he getting at here when he says? The wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So what is the does that change like your, your attitude?
2: Well it's an act of service, I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: So in this case, right? So previously if it's if it that's good. You're doing great. You're doing great. So previously, right? If it's each person, it's about your own body, then you would have sex only when the husband and wife both mutually want to, right? But in Paul's perspective here, what's he saying? You would have sex when,
3: sometimes they
0: want you. When I just
3: thinking
1: of it, I didn't want it, but your partner.
0: Right. So it could be either one, the husband, right? If his, his wife desires sex, then he. Whether he does or doesn't, and then it's the same way, likewise. If the husband desires sex and the wife does or doesn't, it's when either one individually seeks or initiates then each one submits and serves the other in the sense that they are considering others, one another, more than just their own body. You think that... Um, you notice that he he commands the men and the women. Why do you think that's important that he addresses the men and the women in the same way.
3: right person yeah. right this is important for
0: both. yeah yeah so that could if he had addressed just one let's say what what if could that kind of lead to the women
3: then they might be like see we're still you
0: know yeah
3: the guy is then women can use it as a loophole mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> right right and so let's read let's read a couple of verses from um, the cross references here. Luke six thirty-one and Acts twenty thirty-five. Somebody look somebody look those up. Jared, good morning.
3: Good
0: morning, Mr. Marshall. <laughs> Dr. Marshall. Oh yeah. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> 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 Just like the like at school. So
3: sure.
0: Professor, yes. All right. You ready you want to look up a verse for me? <laughs> I 631. You got six thirty one, and Jared, can you get Acts twenty thirty five? Okay, what's uh, six thirty one say?
3: And as you wish that others would do to so, you, would do
0: so to them. All right, so we got the the golden laws. We wish that they would do to as you wish. Oh, well. and then uh, Acts twenty thirty five. In all things. I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, "It is more blessed to give than to receive." Yeah. And so, kind of thinking about like just that attitude, what is how does that affect our attitude when we think about how the husband and the wife should approach um, sex with their with their spouse.
2: motive should never be selfishness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. (coughs) That we... Right, we're always thinking to consider our spouse and how we can be one with them, meet their needs, and think about them first. Right. And it is interesting that at the end of the, this passage, he does talk about there's, a con- there's some conditions where they might abstain from regular sex. So he's saying, this is the normal pattern within marriage, but... It might be that there's a time where you do abstain. So what's the what are the conditions that he says this is a time when you might abstain from sex in your marriage? We're looking in verse five, what are some things you see there? By agreement
3: for a limited time.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: In order to devote yourselves to prayer.
0: Mm-hmm. So there's kind of three conditions about um, when and why, right? So you have both. It's a mutual agreement that we're going to abstain. And it's a limited time, right? And that kind of goes with, at the end it says, but then come together again. So it's kind of a certain period of time. And it's for devotion to prayer. And why does he say it's important that you should come back together again at the end of that? So I guess a question might be, uh, if a couple is abstaining from sex, right, either for this reason, for prayer, or even for other reasons, what is the, what are the temptations that can come to both the husbands and wives? Because um, he says here that we should come together so that we may not be tempted because of our lack of self-control, and he says at the beginning because of the temptation of sexual immorality. So it's kind of a sandwich there, beginning in this is a. That's why we're saying here one aspect of sex is that it's protective against this sexual morality. So what are the temptations that can face a married man or woman? Not, not any of us. Just other, peop- other, other people outside.
3: That's a cheat.
0: Right. Adultery would be one of those sexual immoralities.
2: If you think about the culture at the time of corn, it was pretty bad. Yeah. And there's a good chance that a lot of the people who are So they're The marriage confines, and so this was this was just revolutionary for them, and so yeah. for us, it's it's we think well, I can't look at that, I can't do this, I can't watch those things. But this was this was groundbreaking. Yeah. For
0: yeah. He he says just two chapters before he's writing to the church, right? Mm-hmm. And he and talks about I think in chapter five. Um, it's reported that there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. So even among the church, it's even more immoral than, than in the pagan world. And he speaks just immediately before about... He, he's quoting, again, some of their sayings, like, all things are lawful for me. They have these sayings. The food for the, meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. Like our boi- it's just our bodies. It's just a physical thing. So, not not a lot of what we maybe encounter outside the church today is anything new. It was we in the church at that time. So, there are a lot of these beliefs that he's addressing. So, there's there's adultery. There's uh, prostitution, prostitutes. Um, and then we talked about like what we see, what we intake with pornography, with lust. So all of those things are temptations that we face. So let's look at a, a little example here. Number ten. A few months ago, Sarah and Dan, fictional people, are in here. Sarah and Dan. Sarah caught Dan looking at pornography. Ashamed and contrite. Dan pledges to change and wants to know how he can help Sarah overcome her hurts. Sarah tells Dan that he needs to be more romantic before they can have physical intimacy. She needs to know that he's only thinking about her. This means that he needs to show her spontaneous affection throughout the week, with no expectation of sex. When he does decide to approach his wife, he needs to give her a heads up, namely in the form of flowers delivered. Upon returning home, he does need to give Sarah a long embrace and then help with dinner and put the kids to bed. After this, he must draw up water for Sarah's bubble bath, give the kitchen a deep clean, take a shower, and set up the room. And then, if she's up for it, or if she feels the desire, then they can be intimate. So is this a good way to approach the Dan and Sarah's scenario. Yeah.
3: Working in in marriage that you have no end inside. Like I, got, you did one wrong thing. Now I'm above you for the yeah. rest of yeah. this
2: marriage. And you do things my way.
0: Yeah. And what's I mean? So what's <coughs> going to happen if, the, if this goes on for very long to both Sarah and to Dan? Like, how, what's it? What's it going to lead to? He's not going to do all that. <laughs> It'd be too exhausting to right. put all that work in. And so then. It's just the hope.
3: Not even
1: like, like. <laughs> <And> Really, she's <laughs> like returning a sin with a sin because yeah. if she truly forgave him, there
3: would not be a list of
1: demands. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, and also like even if he did all of that, then she's just going to continue to add things on in the future. Yeah. Like oh well, deep cleaning the kitchen's not good enough now. You have to do that and deep clean the bathroom.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I mean, like, what, what's a, what's a, what's kind of wrong with their thinking? What's, what's, with her mind? Like, what, what is she? How, do, how would you counsel her? I guess if she came and was sharing about this scenario. I'd
1: probably say contractual forgiveness is not real forgiveness. It Kind of there, but then. Uh, So there's clear,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: like, it depends where they're at in the stage of this, you know? Yeah. It's at the beginning.
3: to make him atone for his sin or make up for it or she's trying to punish him for it and it could be all three of those right doing this she thinks it's going to make her feel better um, kind of that's why she's laid out all these steps as well if he does all of this uh-huh. then that really means he loves me and I'll really feel better about myself and, and yeah. connecting those dots for her being like right. that's not actually where your worth comes from yeah. and that's not where your identity comes from and regardless of what your husband is doing mm-hmm. your identity comes from Christ and, th- and there's a lot to unpack there too because is that the first time he's ever done that is this something? Is this yeah. pattern in their marriage is this the fifth time it happened and she's fine you know right. but regardless even if your spouse sins it doesn't give you the, the right to go on well i think Sin, and require all of these steps from them because that's not forgiveness and if, if she's a sinner and she is yes that's not what christ required of her right for him to give her forgiveness
0: <clears throat> yeah i think one thing that you meant that you're hitting on is that in one sense she's kind of uh holding him up that if he has to be like the perfect Mm -hmm. right and so she's neglecting the fact that they're both sinners in their marriage that there's a need for the gospel and forgiveness and um, that would definitely be something that is she looking to Dan to be absolutely perfect in her mold and her perception or is she going to acknowledge that both she and Dan are both sinners here and if uh if you were counseling Dan, you know, how should he talk to or work through this with his wife or any, any advice you would give him?
1: Well, I'll recognize right off the top that he says it, it's the, um, a few months ago, Sarah caught Dan looking at pornography. So that doesn't imply that that was the first time. You kind oh, of owe it to Dan to have that conversation to see if, if where it is.
3: would be a good opportunity to say I know that this is hard for us to overcome together why don't you go talk to a woman in the church about this and I'm going to go mm-hmm. seek some accountability with a man in the church and yeah. kind of go their separate ways if this is the way that they're resolving it um, to have some closer from another yeah. woman on the outside mm-hmm. is probably what she needs
0: yeah and him from another man Right. because it sounds like they both have issues that they're needing to work through in terms of sex and Him with purity and both of them with how they're meeting their sexual needs like he's if he's looking at pornography he's sitting in that in that way or so we need to investigate that seems like she's not valuing the the purpose that you know the principle that Paul gets where he says it's good you know uh, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband they should be coming together on a regular basis
3: well, maybe helping him to recognize. I don't know. I might be implying too much from this question. But he wants to know how he can help Sarah
1: overcome her hurt. I don't know if he is thinking that that is all up to him. Yeah. Right. Like. S- mm-hmm. I don't know, but you know, could be giving into some of those things or leading into some of those things that she's demanding because he's like, "I did this. I have to fix it," but he he can't fill.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think there's
1: also um, when you've hurt somebody like that, you want to. You obviously, if you love and care for them, you want to help them Mm
2: -hmm.
1: immediately and recognize that you've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. But there is a point where if it's something that's it's almost a detraction from what you really don't want to face, which is your own iniquity. Mm-hmm. And that's something I would caution him is pure in a place where maybe the way to help and this situation and her get over it Yeah, stuff, you don't want to think too much about yourself, but at the same time yourself kind of brought this about.
0: Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's going to lead us to um, we're going to talk about this um, one of the main principles that the Bible gives us in talking about dealing with sex is like how to have a fresh start. How does the gospel influence your sexual both in who you were before you got married, what what different conditions or life you lived before you were a Christian, that all those issues (coughs) kind of come into play and may have an effect. Um, Kind of the summary of what we talked about in the first part is there in the middle of page five, that sex binds the husband and wife together, and it's a sign of the covenant of marriage, and it's the act that sets the marital relationship apart from all others. It's, there's pleasure and excitement of sex that knits those two souls together, and even it's meant by God to create new souls. So sex continues to strengthen the marriage bond so the two can raise the children they've made in a stable and loving home. Uh, further, regular intimacy, it safeguards the marriage, as we've just talked about. Helps us to quench the desire to find sexual fulfillment outside the marriage and finds our fulfillment um, within the our own marriage. I guess one... <coughs> This this last part that kind of the analogy we've used before with our kids is um, you know it's like a it's like a fire if you start a fire in your living room or in your bedroom or whatever it's can do all sorts of damage but if you have a fireplace with brick and mortar and glass and all the protective elements and you keep it in the right place it can bring heat and light and warmth and a lot of joy um, and so there's this aspect in which it's this very powerful thing that's good for a husband and wife but. Let's, we're going to stay in First Corinthians and we're going to go back to chapter 6 here now and talk about um, the gospel here so somebody want to read 1 Corinthians that verse 9 and 11 chapter 6 for do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom
1: of God do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters sexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such.
0: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of our first, like when we started, our, the first uh, scenario the case study talks about this, Michael and Christina, where he spent years before Christ ingesting pornography. And um, Christina was a, one time a consumer of their, this erotic fiction. After conversion, she gave these things up. So in this passage, right, what's the description of how God takes these sexually immoral people? What's, what happens to them? Yes. Yeah. So this is a very it's a very common thing I think among believers who became believers. Um how do I say it. Who were not as a child but after they were sexually active. So they maybe were sexually active and involved in all sorts of sexual immorality before they became believers and they <coughs> have been washed, sanctified, justified and now that can impact um, How they get married, what their marriage life can be like, and what their relationship can be like. So what are some ways you guys think that the past sexual sin of either one or both parties, how can that have a negative impact on your intimacy within your marriage? Yeah, so those are kind of, that's one one com- kind of a common just generalization is that sometimes you have a married couple where one was um, pure a virgin maybe, and the other one was had already had um, some sexual history and sexual sin, and so it creates that different dynamic where each one is trying to figure out. Um, so guilt on the part of the one uh, who was involved in sin and. Uh, Maybe a grudge, maybe some bitterness. I think sometimes there is a. um, Lord, you talked about like finding your identity, right? Knowing our identity is in Christ and not in our spouse. Sometimes there is a. On the part of the one who wasn't, didn't have a sexual past and sexual history, is that there's a a lack of. um, It's like a. They're maybe insecure um, about their spouse, and comparisons they might make from all that history, and you know, comparing themselves to. So there's it definitely can can inhibit their ability to be one open with one another in that sense. What else? Um, what are some ways it can affect like their current day? They're married now. They're both believers. They've repented of these things, but are there any lasting ways, things they might have to work through? mention uh, one thing that we talk about with kids and adults though that have sometimes if they've had a sexual history physically or with pornography it has a it gives them a warped view of the purpose and the role of sex so all the way from it being about themselves um, or just about um, what the purpose is of sex. And so sometimes that can impact both the husband and the wife in terms of how they approach um, what their role and the purpose is. So what, what does it look like? I mean, what's the right way to, why is it important to apply the gospel to our past, present, future in terms of our sexual relationship with our spouse and our past? Why is the gospel so important? Taking two broken
2: people and they we're trying to make one, they got a lot of work from mm-hmm. both, both sides to be able to become one.
0: Mm-hmm. I think one thing that uh, can come up is just an understanding. In the, the, other, in the second, um, in second Corinthians, Paul says, so From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in, new, is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so there's a sense in which that gospel allows each person to say who you were in the past, especially before conversion, that person has died, as in Romans. And you are a new person, you're a new creation. And so not, not kind of it allows you to not view that person as, well, this is the way they were, so they're gonna continue to, to be that way, that there's this hope. And then even if it's, um, even if there's uh, sin as believers with the marriage, there's a, always this hope that there's a hope for repentance and for change. Okay, well, let's, let's see what, uh, this is Dwayne and Natasha. They've been dating since high school, and they got married after college. And while they're both active in their church and ministry during their relationship, they cross boundaries on multiple occasions. This has led to a number of complications. In honest moments, Dwayne confided that sex was more thrilling during their premarital encounters than now. Further, Natasha holds Dwayne responsible for their previous indiscretions. After all, he was the leader, and he did not restrain himself. So you have this couple where... They eventually got married, but they were uh, sexually active before that. And so this is, we're talking about the, how this is, how's it impacting them right now? Like what's it, how's it damaging both him and her and their relationship? On the guy's side, Yeah, in a sense he's uh, an example of like the proverb where it talks about stolen water is sweet. Like for him, there's this joy in the illicit kind of secretive, you know, sinful action where he's finding this joy. So he's he's not really finding joy in the right purpose. Well, and I think he's kind of mistaking intimacy with lustfulness Mm -hmm. in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and th- you know, thrilling, you know, th- is that what it's about? It's about him and his own. What about for her? How's it shaped her view of, of Dwayne? Fault, right,
3: and she's giving him the responsibility of a married man, not that you know maybe
0: a boyfriend he should mm-hmm. that. Right, that because she says he was the leader. Well, when they're married, he's the leader. Is that what you're saying? Right, right. That's good. And I think too, there's a sense in which um, you know if he didn't, if he wasn't able to show self-control and if either one of them were able to show self-control beforehand it kind of has continued this impact of lack of ability to trust one another that is the reason what really reason why i should expect him to have self-control at this point so you know what hope does the gospel so how do we counsel both Dwayne and natasha that how does the gospel affect and impact each of them
1: <laughs> what we were doing and that was simple.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'm sorry. And I'm with
0: you. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a key thing that you guys both I may kinda of point out. It's like blame shifting and right, both of them need to acknowledge their own sin in there. Let's look at these Kind of cross cross references Luke seventeen three, Luke seventeen three, and Romans twelve one through two. This is like so. What should they be doing to kind of renew their relationship? So let's see. Joe, can you get Luke
3: seventeen three? Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents forgive him.
0: Yeah. Him, you know, repent and forgive. And then what's Romans 12, 1 through 2? Ryan, can you get Romans 12?
2: I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your body to live.
0: Yeah, so we we see that in both cases, right? We're presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and So there's constantly this need and desire, day after day, year after year, to repent, to walk in obedience, and to forgive one another. Knowing that it's not each one's not looking for you know them to be the perfect or the dream husband or wife, but two sinners who are seeking to live with the gospel at the center of their marriage and so a couple of you know key truths as well to consider is that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus so for both husband and wife um, Ephesians 4 32, be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you I think there's a sense there where sometimes like we mentioned that case where maybe one person um, was engaged in I would say more sexual sin than the other and there's a sense in which well you did this but this verse you know as God in Christ forgave you there's a certain sense in which we have to realize that just like the the parable of the unmerciful, unmerciful servant whatever it is that we need to forgive them whatever the few hundred dollars are there's millions that we need to be forgiven in Christ and then First John. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. I think that's the first main principle here. Maybe we'll, we'll kind of end with this second one. But the first thing is that you know, within marriage, uh, you know, we never have two com- completely pure, sinless people coming together in marriage. So every marriage, is, you're going to need the gospel from day to day after day. Not only because of your sin that you brought into the marriage, but sin you're committing during the marriage. is that It's got to continually be two people relying on the gospel. So then, uh, let's look at point B here maybe start with this. And the next thing is to obey your conscience. So let's, um, let's actually read a little bit more. If you guys want to go to your Bibles to Romans 14, we'll kind of leave with this. Let this kind of simmer in our brains for a little bit. So the context <coughs> So the context here in Romans 14 uh, there are Different views in the church here about food, okay? Mainly about food. I believe there's also about days, but um, this verse 23 kind of is getting to the end of this. Well, I want to start back at the very beginning uh, of Romans 14, kind of read through this and think through this in terms of obeying your conscience and what this means, because this is something that. Um, Just believers in a marriage and believers in the church is just a good passage to remind us of how to relate. As for one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of one another? it is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the lord is able to make him stand so what's going on there's two temptations right there's one that just i eat all any food and then there's one that thinks that there's certain food that's holy and there's certain food that's unclean so one person believes he may eat anything in verse two while the weak person eats only vegetables so they're saying they have a weaker conscience in that They're, they're not don't feel free to eat everything. So the one who eats, what, what's he command the one who eats in verse 3? Let not the one who eats
3: despise.
0: despise the one who abstains. Yeah, so don't don't despise those around you who are abstaining from things that you believe to be clean, acceptable, and holy. And then, uh, and let not the one who abstains, what? pass judgment on the person, like, they're eating that? Right? So they're judging them as, you're wicked for doing something, right? So they have a difference of conscience on this. The one who feels, has the stronger conscience in the sense that they feel no condemnation for eating anything, they may be tempted to despise those who don't have the same freedom. And so, the one who doesn't Doesn't feel good about eating every food, but once abstained, they have a tendency to judge those as being wicked for partaking in what they would like to abstain from. And so, if we skip on down, he talks about in verse five, all the way down through verse nine, about doing those with different days. Right? He says. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. that He might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? So those are the two two kind of temptations. Down in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. That's a key principle. So what's Paul say? He says, I know, is the food for him to eat different foods? Is it a sin for him to? It's not. Not for him because he knows. He says, I know and am persuaded nothing is unclean in and of itself. So for him, he can eat all these different foods and he's not a sin. But it's unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. And so if they partake of this, particular food and they actually believe it's unclean then they are sinning it's not the food itself that's causing them to sin it's the fact that they're going against and disobeying their conscience okay so when it comes to this kind of that idea in marriage and in sex obeying your conscience is a key principle whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin so that's kind of the the principle to think about. We'll, we'll kind of come back to this at the end, is that in our, um, the sex the, between husband and wife, if either the husband or the wife um, feels a prick in their conscience about anything in their sexual uh, relationship, they ought not to partake in something that they feel is, would not be right, would not be holy. Um, regardless of what their, uh-huh. spouse says because like Paul is saying I know and am persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in and of itself but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean so there's a matter of conscience that we need to obey and respect to our, our spouse and their conscience and to keep them from stumbling you don't like one thing to, to think about as you go right we want to continually listen to and follow our conscience that God's gift and what's What's the what happens if we don't do that? What's the risk that we're running?
2: Others would stumble.
0: So for others, you're leading them to sin, to disobey their conscience, and then for each individual when they when they disobey their conscience, if they say, Oh well, they say it's fine, so I'm gonna do this even though I feel like it's wrong, what happens? You're in sin, and it it begins to dull and harden. You kind of your conscience becomes harder, and you begin to not listen to it more and more. Right? Okay. So we will kind of pick up there next time. Principles. Principles. I think I think Dave will be back, but I don't know if he'll be ready to to prep to go through. So thank you guys for participating. I was not monologuing the whole time. So let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that as we've talked and had good discussion, that your word has planted seeds in our life that will bear fruit. I pray that in our relationship with you and the relationship with our spouse, that we might talk about and think through how we can glorify you in our bodies and in our relationships and in our marriages. And pray that this morning, as we continue to sing to you, to listen to your word preached, that you would just be glorified and that you draw us closer to you, making us more into your image. Help us to continue to walk in a manner that's worthy of you, serving you, worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen.